Did I just hear my name out there? What did you say? Good morning. Good morning, random citizen. Uh, no, just kidding. What was that from, Ellie? What movie is that from? Good morning, random citizen. What is that from? Megamind. Yes, yes, I heard you. For those of you that are visiting, I, I apologize for the wall of whatever just hit you in some senses, but that's just who we are. We just love church. Um, I think a lot of people want to go to heaven, but not a lot of people want to go to church. And uh, I want to do something about that. God, when I was a little kid, I didn't want to go to church. That place was the most boring hour of my week. I take that back, the most boring seven hours of my week. Because I had to go to Sunday school, and then I had to go to morning church, and then I had to go to Sunday night church, and I had to go early so my mom and dad could be in choir practice at 4.30, and then we had Wednesday night prayer meeting, and then we had Tuesday night evangelism. I mean, I was at it all the time, and if I can be totally honest with you, I hated every second of it for the most part as a kid. And I don't think that's God's fault. Can I just say that again? I don't think anything's wrong with God. I think it's us taking our eyes off the prize and off the ball and saying, why in the world have we thought it's okay to make God and church boring? In fact, I, I've heard that the, one of the greatest sins of a preacher is to make God seem boring to people. That scares me right now as I just said it. Because God is awesome. And I don't want to get in the way of that. I don't want our church to get in the way of people and our students encountering the living God. This last year, our high school pastor went out to California. I don't know why he'd want to go out there. No, just kidding. He, he answered a call of God to go uh, out there. And uh, so we've been looking for a student ministry pastor. He's right down here in the front row right here. Jesse and uh, his wife, Faith, and their family came in. I'm going to introduce him in a little bit to you. But I'm telling you, it was on my heart to find a good youth pastor, not just a warm body, not just a good resume, but somebody who had a throbbing, pounding heart for God, his kingdom, our city, and for students. And you know how hard it is to find a good youth pastor? Dang hard. Man, when I was in 1996, I graduated, youth pastors were a dime a dozen. We were churning these things out in mass production. It was crazy. And we've got a pipeline issue as it relates to student ministries pastors that are called to go into ministry. It, it, it's no surprise that student ministry is struggling in America because we don't have leaders to lead them anymore. And there was a time in November where I literally said, God, if you want me to go back into youth ministry, I'll go back into youth ministry. I'm not joking. I told Ryan and John one day, I walked into the office, like, I think I'm going to become our youth pastor. And they were like, the heck you are. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not joking. I love being at 
these games. I love being in the bleachers. I love being on the campus of the students. I love chopping it up with them. I love learning their language. I love their culture. I feel like there's so much possibility and potential in the next generation. Sometimes I get sick of working with adults that are so calcified and so hardened. It's so hard to change adults, but kids, this is why we hate them. They'll change in a moment. But if God can get a hold of their hearts, they'll change in a moment too. Yes, they, they have peer pressure, but they're open to positive peer pressure too. And if you show them bigger than life something to live for, they'll chase after it with no holds barred, with no discretion, no discernment. They'll go after it. I'm like, man, I want to get out there and see if I could do something about the trends I'm seeing in this generation. And we're not finding anybody. And we interviewed one after another, after another, after another, and it didn't work out. And what it did is it formed in me over the last seven months a deep, deep passion for the next generation. Now, I didn't become our student ministry pastor, just so that you know, but I'm going to be the biggest student ministry ambassador and advocate this year. If you don't want to hear about students, there's a lot of churches on Main Street that you can go to. This church is going to sell out for our students this year. And you're going to hear it from me all year long. One of the greatest preachers of all time in the 19th century was D.L. Moody. And as I was reading on student ministry, this is a quote that filleted me. If I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. This is a guy who is the best of the best. And he said, if I could do it over again, I would just pour all my life into reaching kids for Jesus. And I thought to myself, man, I don't have to relive my life at age 74 and look back. I can right now at age 48 start to live my life to raise up and reach and ignite and infuse and empower kids with the gospel right now. I don't want to live with regrets. And I want to reach all people of all ages and all generations, but the church is dying in America because we're focusing on the moment and we're not thinking about the trajectory of the future. And we got to wake up because you and me, we're going to die. And when we die, who's going to take the baton? Who's going to take the torch? We're thinking about that today. I, uh, this last week, saw a piece of video footage from... Oklahoma, the girls' softball team. I don't know if you saw this, but I was charged up about this. Ch take a look at this interview. I think this caught ESPN by storm. Players, I know you talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, 
and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I. I was so happy to win the college, I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world, if we do lose, yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like, shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So. Do you think youth ministry is still important? This isn't back in the 80s. This was last week. These girls are just in front of the whole world saying, I love Jesus. I can't wait for heaven. Can't wait to be with my king, my father. This is a big deal. We just won the championship. Who even cares, man? God's awesome. And we're sitting here thinking, man, this generation is going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, man, it's over for us. No, dude, I'm telling you right now, our kids can be like this. This is 18 to 22-year-olds speaking like this. And they are in our church. They're over in Kid Zone. They're in this place today. And I want you to know God is worth giving your life for. Every day of the week, you will never regret it in the here and now and the ever after. And there's people in your generation, kids, that are learning that. There's people on that team that are coming to Christ and all the depression that follows the high highs and the low lows. You don't have to do that anymore. You can know that Jesus loves me whether I win or lose. He doesn't love me more today because I was good or less today because I was bad. His grace has covered you. He's head over heels madly in love with you and he wants you to be his daughter and his son so bad. That's for you. That's for you. I remember my generation... Gen Xers, got any Gen Xers here? 
we were supposed to kill and destroy the church. I heard it. Oh man, this generation, oh, it's, it's bad news. That Gen X generation, they are just, whoo, what's going to happen? We were supposed to kill the church. We didn't. Millennials. Oh, they're the ones. They're the hot topic. Oh, the millennials. How many of your millennials? You don't have to admit it. Uh, <laughs> millennials. Oh man, they're going to kill the church. They didn't. Oh, the Gen, Gen Z. They're going to kill the church. Gen A, the little kids after 2012, they're going to kill the church. No, they're not going to. And I'm here as a witness going through generations that something happens generationally where we look back at generations to come and we assign blame to them and we, we sort of attach by attribution some sort of devastating disaster, doomsday mindset. And I'm telling you right now, nobody's going to kill Christianity because nobody's going to kill Christ. You can persecute it. You can cancel it. You can beat it up. You can downplay it. You can do whatever you want. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ will rise up. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It will not. We're always trying to blame the current generation, but the disintegration of a culture and a church happens when a previous generation starts to lose touch with the next generation. They own the moment they're in, but they punt on the future, and we cannot let this happen as a church. Our smash-up of our theme this year is three verses from Psalm, and I love that 3,000 years ago that this guy David had a vision for the next generation. And this is our church's theme verse this year. Even to old age and gray hairs, and we got a lot of white heads in this place today, big time, and I love every second of it. They were saying, oh God, don't forsake me. Don't let me die until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. This generation will commend your works to another. Declare your mighty acts so that the next generation, there it is, might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. 3,000 years ago, they were passionate about setting a vision for the generation that they were in to not miss the next generation. But in order for the next generation to rise up and tell them to their children, God's got to light a fire in us. Not just your pastor, not just your small group leader, I'm saying all of us in this place have to experience the mighty deeds, the acts of God, his, his things that we're commending, his power. Are you experiencing that? If you're not experiencing that, you can't commend it to the next generation. You can't pass on passion when you have no passion. And one thing I love about students is they can read through bull crap so fast. They have these crap detectors. They can see authentic. They can see stuff that is like real and true and genuine. And I love it. And they can tell whether we're full of it or whether we're full of it. George Barna said this in the race to a child's heart, the first one there wins. And I love sports and I like to win. And we're going to win. Our church is going to win. We've got to get there first. And when we get there, we better have something to offer. The world is going after our kids, so we're going to go after our kids. The world is swarming our kids, so we're going to swarm our kids with love. 
85% of people who come to Jesus do so before the age of 18. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. That's crazy. That's a statistic there that doesn't lie. We got to raise our kids and reach our kids. That window closes, and when it closes, it is hard to teach an old dog new tricks. But it's easier to teach a young puppy tricks. That, that's, I don't know where that came from, but that just came to my mind. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me a quote that will not go beyond this moment. Man, we cannot sleep on this. We got to get there first. We have had, I want to say four, maybe five churches in the last two years approach our church to see if we will take over their church. And in most of the churches that have come to us, in fact, all of them, they used to be a church of 1,200 20 years ago in their heyday. And over the last 20 years, they've dwindled down to 35 people. They've got no families, young families. They've got no students. They've got no children in their whole church. And they're saying, can you do something about that? Just have a new one. Uh, that came up just in the last couple months. It's dwindling down. They got a $6 million facility. They've got all the stuff. Most of these churches have a huge facility and a bunch of money and no children. I'm going to tell you right now, we are not going to be sitting on a nest egg of money in this church because you can have money in a building. You don't have young families. You don't have kids. In, in the year 2050, our church will go through a life cycle and cease to exist. And this place will be up for sale or we'll be asking somebody, do you want it? And another pot shop is going to come in and they're going to be growing weed and this sanctuary is a dispensary. You think I'm kidding. Look what happened on Main Street. They've cleaned up this place, all these old dilapidated buildings. I don't want our church to be that building. When I'm dead and gone, when I'm dead and gone, I want this place to be alive and well, baby. So I'm looking down from heaven like, check that out. Check out what's going on. Little Jimmy, who is five years old, is the lead pastor of that church. Wow. A church that has no children or youth is terminal, Dale Hudson said. There's a verse our whole staff studied and talked about on a retreat in February. All 19 of us got together and sat around a table and we looked at Ecclesiastes 11 and the heading over this particular passage was this, invest in many ventures. That's a poetic way of saying, don't play it safe. Keep taking risks. Invest in something, even if it could fail, at least fail while trying. Keep trying. The author of this wisdom literature said this, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may return. It may receive a return. I love the word may. It may not actually come back. The pirates might take it, but keep shipping your grain across the sea. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. I love this. At a time where the sea was the most ominous and scary thing in the world, 
at the time, the mystery of the sea, the tragedy of the sea, the treacherous nature of the sea. He said, keep taking your ships and shipping your grain right out into the dark, dicey deep. And it may return, it may not. Just keep shipping it. Don't dry dock that ship close to the shore. And he says, after many days, you may return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, and eight. I love this. Keep investing in ventures. Be a venture capitalist church, not a hedge fund church, where we're hedging our bets just in case, trying to hold it back with all of this fear that vibrates inside of us. Venture out. Do it seven times. And as long as you're doing it seven times, heck, do it eight. Whatever you're going to do, take it up a notch. That's what it's saying. And I'm telling you, churches that do not do this will perish. They will cease to exist. And right in the last verse, you see the vision statement of most churches in America in 2023. And that is not in ventures. That is in disaster. Because people concentrate on disaster, obsess about disaster, set vision in church, preaching about disaster. It's all about the disaster. Did you hear about the disaster? This generation's a disaster. This administration's a disaster. Our schools are a disaster. Everything's a disaster everywhere you look. And I don't want to be a church that has a master's in disaster. I want to be a church that when everything else and everybody else is talking about and obsessing about disasters, we're about ventures at impact. Oh man, I see the disaster. Let's start another venture. Oh my gosh, two more disasters. We got to, hey, three, let's bump it up. Take it up a notch. We combat disaster with ventures in this church. If you're looking to come here and for me to pick the low-hanging fruit, the easy fruit of just kvetching up here every week about how bad our world is. You're not going to hear it. I get it. I am oppressed living in even the town, in the nation, in this, mo this month as we're just being like inebriated and force-fed and, and tortured with ideas and ideologies that are oppressive to me. They make me sick. I'm not going to just sit up here week after week and tell you what you already know, that the world is suffering and struggling. It's far from God. I want to start ventures here. If clouds are full of water, it goes on. They pour rain on the earth, whatever, or whether a tree falls to the south, to the north, and whatever place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will never plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will never reap. Oh my gosh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. The, what this is saying is do not wait for the perfect conditions. There are never perfect conditions. You got to pull the trigger and go. You got to cut it. You got to plant it. You got to harvest it. You got to gather it. If we wait around for the perfect time, we'll wait around and this place will be gone. 
Invest now. Plant now. He goes on, sow your seed in the morning. Don't let your hands be idle for what you do not know, or you do not know what will succeed, whether this or whether that. You have no idea. Maybe both will do equally well. That's not up to you. Surrender the outcome. That's up to God. Your responsibility is not success. Your responsibility is sowing. And we don't know before we go every time. That's risk. That's vision. Before we know, as a church, we go. Before we know, we sow. God brings the increase. We plant, we water. That's what we're responsible for. And we're going to sow, baby. This year, we're sowing, baby. What does it look like to sow? Well, we wordsmith some things as a staff together. Four statements. Our church will invest extravagant time, energy, and resources into our students. They will continually consume our thoughts and dreams and prayers this coming year. Our desire is for them to experience God through monumental events. We will seek to galvanize our sons and daughters with lasting core memories. So we've got eight ventures for our sons and daughters this next year, from little kids all the way to age 25. Eight ventures that we're going after. And I don't know if we can do these, but that's not my problem. That's God's problem. And that's your problem. (laughs) But this is an opportunity. All problems are opportunities. Eight ventures. First one, the Ark Encounter. Getting as many families with little kids down to Kentucky. Are you like, is anything good happening in Kentucky? Yes. (laughs) There is this theme park you got to get your kids to so that they can see a replica of the ark that Noah built with their own eyes and walk through it. Check out this picture. This is so huge. It's a theme park and they can walk through and connect with the God who created them in something that will blow their minds that they will never forget as an indelible memory. Our kids need to get there. We as a church want to pay for everybody's ticket to go there. When you go with your friends throughout the year, you just keep Uh, the receipt for your ticket, and we will reimburse that ticket. You're going to have to pay for your own food and your lodging, but man, if you can get there with your kids, this is the year to do it. Second one, follow conference. Our denomination puts us on every three years. We weren't able to do it because of COVID, the last one, but this is where the kids go down to Cincinnati. I'd like to take buses and buses of kids. I have in my mind 150 but it could be upwards to 200 students, middle and high school that go to this thing on buses and go to Cincinnati and get around five to 6,000 in their generation and learn about Jesus and that their generation has something to offer and that Jesus loves them and they have a ton of fun and they worship their faces off. It's awesome. They got to get there. Arts explosion, investing more money here, with kids that are learning their gifts, how God has uniquely shaped them and just created them to be used by him, their calling, their wiring, their, their giftedness. We want to just invest more in that here at the church. We want to do summer camps. We've never done summer camps as a church before. It's high time for that, ages first through 12th grade. This Not this summer, it's too late, but the following summer, I want us to be sending our kids to camp. And it is so expensive to send kids to camp. Like when I went, I think it was 125 bucks. 
It's like six, seven, eight hundred bucks for a week at camp. Our church wants to subsidize that, subsidize that so as many kids that need to go to camp can go to camp, get away from their phones for about six days, and just be out in the wild, learn about God, be in cabins, and just experience God in that setting. God changes lives at camp. Oh, wait, there's more. Passion Conference. Young adults who want to take a trip to Atlanta, age 18 to 25-year-olds, and they gather together with 60,000 other in their generation. This is a picture that I found of this down at Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta, Georgia. And you go there and you learn God is not dead and your generation is not dead. It's alive and well. And God has a plan for your life and lives are changed in that arena. And we want to send busloads of 18 to 25 year olds down there to kind of before all hell breaks loose and puke hits the fan that they realize, holy cow, I'm heading to college. I'm in college. I'm a young adult and I want to build my life on the firm foundation of Christ. Yes. Mission trips both lo local and global experiences for high schoolers to just get them out in third world country areas where they can see the world, they can see just need and, and the lost and the last and the least and pour their hearts into them. Anybody go on mission trips that change their lives down through the years? Yeah, so many here. It's like we need more of that for this generation. It's expensive, but we're gonna make that happen for students and for families that don't have that in their budget and we're gonna supplement the cost there. We want to take number seven in Israel trip. And it's not just for people that have it on their bucket list. This is for 18 to 25 year olds to go to the Holy Land. I went to the Holy Land not too many years ago and I noticed, and I was like in my mid forties at the time, these buses that we were with, it was all a bunch of retired people and me. And they're checking off the bucket list. They can't even walk up to Mount Carmel. They can't even go to the places. They're just on the buses with their headsets. It was wonderful. The thing that God took just poured into my heart and lit me ablaze. I was in the middle of the capital campaign raising like $9 million to build this building. And I said to God in the bus, like in between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, I was like, God, you know who needs to be on these buses? 18 to 25 year olds that don't believe this is more than a fairy tale. They don't believe in the veracity and the credibility of this whole thing. If they could just get here and see the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum and they could actually get near Jerusalem and they could be at the olives, you know, the Mount of Olives where Jesus cried and see the Golden Gate and where all these people, if they could see this, they would know this is real. This is not just a cleverly invented story that they're being told about. I, God, if I'm ever going to raise money ever again in my life. I will do a campaign to raise money to get kids to Israel when they need to go. Buses full of a bunch of old people that are already convinced are not the ones that need to see Israel. The ones that need to see Israel are the ones that like literally it's hanging in the balance as to whether they believe or don't believe. Get to Israel. I'll tell you, your minds will be blown. And you're like, I want to go to Israel. Forget you. <laughs> Trip out west. I want to take 
20 more juniors or seniors. It was crazy. I had like nine people come up like, I'll take the kids out west. I love the west. So that's already happening. Apparently the west is a big deal. We want kids to get out there, see the majesty of the mountains and the wild lands and say, oh my gosh, God is amazing. And then do a trip or some high adventure, then come back and debrief about what did you see? What did God show you? Man, creation, that natural revelation of God and who he is, There's like special revelation in the Bible. Then there's literally natural revelation in creation where you can say there is a God. Dale Hudson said youth ministry is ministering to a person at the most critical time in their life. The last verse of the last book in the Old Testament says this. He, God, will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. For the purpose of our collective vision, it would read this way. He will turn the hearts of the church to the children and the hearts of the children to the church. Anybody remember last year's vision? Hunger. And remember the tagline? God, we want you here. It's hunger this year. I don't know if you can tell by the sweat on my face. We're hungry. You know what we're hungry for? Students, we want you here. We want you here. We turn our hearts toward you so that maybe, just maybe, you'll turn your hearts toward us and toward God. What does it look like for our hearts to turn to children? If there is a choice to talk to an adult or a kid in the lobby talk to the kid, not your click. Talk to the kid. It's so uncomfortable. You need God in order to do it. Start doing things that you need God to do. That's where miracles happen. They scare me to death. But after I'm done talking with them and cortisol is coursing through my veins, I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Adults cannot be intimidated by kids anymore. We have to say we turned our hearts toward you. We love you. You scare me, but we love you. (laughs) If there's a little free time in your schedule, spend it supporting a student. If you got a free night, find out what the game is in town and go to the game. And when people are like, are you here to see your niece or nephew or sons or daughter? Nope. All these kids are my sons and daughters. Our church says all the kids in our community are our sons and daughters. I'm here to see my sons and daughters. Well, that could be a little creepy. Don't say that. But... (laughs) That went my son, and that's my son. <laughs> Get this guy out of here. <laughs> if there's a ministry you're thinking about serving in, choose our children. Oh, but I used to do kids' ministry. Do it again. Come out of retirement. Do it again. Work with our students. If we don't work with them, if we don't spend time with them, we're done. If there's some extra money in your wallet or your bank account, this is the year to invest it in the next generation and give like there's no tomorrow. It's interesting. Sow your seed in the morning, verse 6, chapter 11, Ecclesiastes, and at evening, don't let your hands be idle. That sowing your seed is actually 
a metaphor that's used throughout the Bible, but in the New Testament by Paul to talk to the church about tithing to the church. In fact, he said to the church in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, remember this church, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Don't keep your seed because you think you're in need. God will take care of you abundantly. Sow your seed, not sparingly, but generously, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. We will sow our seed into our students. In our budget this year, we put $250,000 that does not exist currently that's going to all of these ventures that I said we're gonna come and send our kids to. But I don't have that much money, but we do. And we're gonna send our kids on these ventures this year because we're gonna sow seed into them. Paul knew this. Remember this. Remember, man, you sow sparingly into young people. Plan on reaping sparingly in the level of young people. Do not be deceived, he said to the Galatians. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will also reap. We want to reap a harvest of hearts of students and kids who we're going to have to sow like banshees around here. And we will. And I don't even know what a banshee is. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm wet. How do I give? How do I give? I thought you'd never ask. Uh, right here is how we give around this place. You're like, well, how does this thing function? If you've ever wondered that, it's because a lot of people here hive off 10% of their income and give it to sow seed for the kingdom of God. So when they're dead and gone, the kingdom of heaven comes on earth as it is in heaven and the ministry carries on. But this year, what we're giving is largely weighted to our students and our young people, largely. And if there's anything above and beyond budget, it's all being dumped in the next generation to pour it on thick. It's all going there. So please, if you're online at your summer house up north, if you're down in Kentucky at the Ark, we need you. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm online. I'm not there. That's fine. You can give online. I see you. Just because you're gone this summer doesn't mean you check out on the kingdom. Satan's not sleeping on our kids. We're not sleeping on them. Forrest Whitcraft said this a hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in or the kind of car I drove, but the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. Wow. Man, I just met a guy today, Bruce. He's been coming the last five, six months. He was on Indeed Church, just wasn't going to church, and he just stepped in here. And I just thought about Bruce, like we're about reaching on Indeed Church people here. That's part of our mission as a church. Bruce, are you even here? I know you're kind of new, and I just met you. Do you mind standing up, Bruce? Yeah, this is Bruce right here. Can we welcome Bruce to our church? I love it. I love it. Bruce sent me an email. I didn't know who Bruce was. 
when I sent my email of apology to the church for being, you know, off color and all that stuff, and I really do apologize for that, even though this morning I might have broke a couple of those rules. Um, I don't think I did. I think I was in the lane of where I want to be with like just being real and raw and relevant. But I'm telling you, Bruce sent me an email and I got to hear his heart today and see his eyes and what God's lighting him up with the Bible and church and it's all brand new to him. And I want to keep reaching Bruce's and everything in between. But is it okay this year if we say my preferences, my desires, my focus of being all about me, it's all going to be directed to our kids. That's what it's going to be around here. I want to invite a few people that I want to introduce you to that we're investing in in this generation. Um, ben and Jesse and my daughter Allie are going to come up. Um, and there are others. There's Tony over there killing it, his wife. Hannah, you got to meet Liz this morning. Jennifer does the admin for, for these people. There are so many that are just raising up to lead this generation. And um, Ben has been doing a great job around here for quite some time. Even when we were without a high school pastor, he took so much around here. This is Jesse, our new dude on staff. He's been here for a while for our high schoolers. And then this girl right here is my mini me. This is Allie. And uh, she just got out of college. She's going to be a nurse, but she's coming on part-time for 18 to 25-year-olds because she's got a wicked, wicked passion for them. So uh, we're excited about that. Ben, just share and what I want you to share, because you could share a lot, and I've already shared a lot. They don't need a lot. They need to know your heart for this generation. What's your vision uh, for this generation? Why do you do what you do? Yeah. Yeah, my name is Ben Jagger. Uh, I've been coming to the church for 14 years now. Been volunteering, started volunteering with ISM 12 years ago, been on staff for four. And I do, I, I was called into ministry my junior year of high school. If you don't think it's important, all of us here are here because of meeting Christ in this age group. Hmm. The entire band, yeah. entire band either directly connected to ISM, came out of ISM and the drums, justice leading, parents, volunteers. The leadership of this church has come from our student ministries. Mm -hmm. I've been here, the 14 years I've been here, seeing the power of what that is. My passion for students, I'm a middle school pastor, mm -hmm. sixth through eighth grade. I am convinced that if you want to see the purest form, purest form of faith, mm. talk with a sixth through eighth grader mm. about Jesus. Mm. Because they're no longer, they're not talking about the things they've heard or how they got hurt or, or, or what it, it's. I met Jesus and he's awesome. Mm. It's so pure. I was called into ministry, like I said, junior year was called into what I thought would be head pastoring. I was wrong. I'm called into youth ministry. I've heard for years, hey, when are you going to be a real pastor? Uh -huh. I am the realest pastor. Uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll throw it under the bus a little bit, but all three of the guys have told me re over the past few years, I don't know how you tell students in 15 minutes what takes me 45 to an hour. <laughs> so 
I still will talk for you know eons and eons if I if I can. But the the passion I have is because I know, like like the like it said, this is the most crucial point. Yeah. Statistics say if a student is going to keep their faith after they graduate high school, it takes five to eight adults who have poured into mm. their their life and taught them about the Christian walk. Their parents are two, maybe. I, I, I've done a lot, but I can attest after this last year, I can't be more than one person. So I can be one of those, and I want to be one of those, but that's three, which means I need six more because we want to go above and beyond, right? So if we want our students to be in Christ when they go into the world, that takes this right here. Yeah. And students, this will be the last things I say. Where are my students at? Anyone? For, here we go. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yep. Okay. Hey, you guys ready for this? Because we're rising up to meet. I want you guys to meet us. Because there's one Holy Spirit. Mm. We don't got junior Holy Spirit over there in ISM and the kids <laughs> We, we got preachers on Oklahoma's softball team. We got preachers in this building right now yeah. under the age of 25. We've got leaders. So church, meet us. Uh -huh. Students, meet us. Yeah. Yeah. We're going and we're going big. Yeah. We're going big. I'm, I'm ready to run through a wall. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. So, yeah, one, thi one thing, uh, you can hand the mic off. You're done. Um, <laughs> I love it. One thing I love about Ben is his disability does nothing. It's no impediment. It's like a platform for him. And I think it's just awesome to have you in student ministry. There's nothing you're going to come up against that is not a wall that you cannot scale and go over that God won't use for his glory and his good. And I just want you to know you're a powerful force, buddy. And we love having you on here. Yeah. Jesse. Yes, that's awesome. Hey, Jesse. <laughs> no, hey, no, Jesse. No. <laughs> oh. I, I mean, you. I mean, you can keep doing that if you want. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll be quick since uh, Ben took all the time. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love this dude. It's it's an honor to be able to uh, join the team and be with him and uh, the rest of the amazing staff here and all you guys. And so, like, I'm so excited to be here. This is a amazing, amazing church. And uh, you've been here since when? Uh, December. Jan December, January. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just so, was attending for a while. Um, and so, yeah, who yeah. knew that the guy down in the front, just the yeah. guy down in the front. Yeah, yeah man, that's that. That's me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was attending and uh, honestly, like, it's just really cool how God worked everything out and like um, and I'm here now. And uh, I just want to say really quick, too. Uh, I was a student who was attending a church. And uh, I grew up in church. Uh, my grandpa was a pastor. So like I kind of had that understanding and stuff like that. But uh, um, an adult in the church came, came up to me. Uh, she probably was scared of me like what Jason was talking about because I was a pretty punk kid, to be honest with you. And uh, she came up to me and she invited me to go to church camp. And I was a little like, eh, I don't know, but I decided to go. 
And when I went to church camp, God changed my life. Like, it absolutely wrecked mm. me. And, like, it was, like, the first time I actually, like, really experienced just the power of Jesus. And, like, uh, ever since then, I had this burning passion and fire in my soul for, for the Lord. And so, for mm. me, like, my heart and my passion is to see students get that, where they experience God in such a unique, powerful way where they're like, I am changed forever. I'm ready to go. I feel fired up. I want to go to my school and start a Bible study. I want to go preach and all this kind of stuff. And so it's my heart to see a revival happen within the school, within the community, and for the students to really just experience the love and the goodness of Jesus. And yeah, so, man. yeah, I'm just pumped. It's awesome. going to be awesome. So, Can yeah. we welcome Jesse and Faith and their family with us? Yeah. Um, and I'm Allie, this guy's daughter, so got that blood in me, that passion. He, this past week, he, we were out on the deck, and he was like, I think I'm going to ask you, like, why are you passionate about the young adults? And I was like, well, that's literally, like, the word. Like, I want, I want to see, like, my age group be passionate about Christ again, and I'm not even saying again, because I think there is that. There just isn't an outlet for it. A couple weekends ago, me and a, a few friends went downtown to, like, the heart of the city, Rosa Parks, and it was a worship night by MBL Worship, and you would have thought mm. that, like, following Christ was the thing to do, and I had a, I had a friend, because of just, like, the worship, hands up, like, the smiling from everyone, it was amazing, but I had a friend there that isn't a Christ follower and he afterward was like dude I had goosebumps the whole time and he mm. was like like I wouldn't even have goosebumps if I went to my favorite artist and like the whole time so he was like I'm not gonna lie like I'm actually surprised by how many people our age are out there and praising God so openly and I was like I think I want, I want to surprise people with how many people my age actually do love God and want yeah, to pursue him that. with their life. I love that. And this past week, I, we were reading in Acts, um, Tay, Cammie, and I, my sisters. And in Acts 2, it's talking about the, the early church, and it talks about how they broke bread together, and they went into each other's homes, and they ate, and, and they um, ate with glad and sincere hearts, and they praised God. And after that, it says, and God added to their number daily. And I just think that that picture of just living life together is really what my um, my mission in this is, is living life together, being in each other's homes and experiencing God um, with glad and sincere hearts. And through that, God blessing it and just adding, adding to that number. So yeah. I'm so excited, guys. Also, um, if you are here and you are 18 to 25, come up, meet me afterward. I'm going to be up here, and I had a couple of um, people say that they would come up with me too. There's going to be guys, so if you're a guy and you're like, I don't want to introduce myself to a girl, there's going to be guys up here, so. Yeah, and she's single, so uh, anyway. <laughs> Watch how many guys flood up here after the service. No, this I'm girl so right sorry. here, when I came to Impact, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when I came to Impact, she was three years old. This is what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And it hit me. I've been going to graduation parties, which is the greatest redistribution of wealth of anything I've seen in my life. The parents like put on the greatest show, pay for it all, and then the kids get all the money of the people that come. It's unbelievable. Our government cannot even, you know, they can't up that. That's awesome. But anyway, I was there and I realized all the graduation parties that I went to, these kids were just born when I got here. And it hit me, Jason, you've got one more cycle of 18 years from kids that are born to when they're 18 in your blood right now. Are you going to be like D.L. Moody and are you going to give it all for the kids? 
That's what we've got to be about. This next cycle that I'm here, man, I'm giving it all for the students. And I think adults come alive when they hear the kids, the testimonies, the change. Like we want to know this generation is going to take the baton and torch and carry it on. That's what excites me. The older I get, I don't want my preferences and all things to be about me. I want our kids to come to know the living God, the Jesus who loves them. So ship your grain. Invest in ventures, sow your seed, give like you've never given before. We don't want our hands to be idle. Why? Because we want to say, I'll proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Am I right? Our generation shall commend your works to another, declaring your mighty acts to the next generation that they might know them than children yet unborn and arise to tell them to their children. That's what we're doing for the next 52 weeks, the next 365 days we're praying. God, pour out your spirit on our sons and our daughters. Our theme for impact this year is the next generation. We're going all in on Gen Z and Gen A, no holds barred. There's no time to lose. The clock is ticking. Our church is poised. There's no sacrifice too great to reach this generation of young people. They're our most valuable possession, our greatest responsibility. No more talking smack about this generation. We will champion them. How could we not invest our time, energy, talent, money, and dreams into them? We will fast and pray for them. Their salvation and freedom will keep us up at night. We will spare no expense this year. Other things can wait as we prioritize them. All ministries will deliberately bend toward the hearts of children and students. Our tithes and offerings will be heavily weighted toward discipling this generation. Everywhere we go, we will look for students to encourage. They will know we're for them. We will carve out time to attend their school activities and events to show our support. They will be our guests of honor every weekend for the next 52 weeks at Impact. They are our VIPs. The celebration of their passions will be our priority. Our preferences will be put on the back burner. Jesus said the kingdom belongs to such as these, so we will learn from them this year. We will look for them in the lobby, leaving our comfort zones to make them feel special. The world is going after them, so we're going to go after them with all our hearts. The culture is stopping at nothing to swarm them, so we will swarm them with our love. Satan isn't taking a vacation from pursuing this generation, so neither will we. They are our burning passion for the next 365 days as a church. The next generation will consume us night and day. They are worth every single sacrifice. These are our sons and daughters. This is our church's vision. It's time. Let's do it. Let's do it. So God, you are the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Ben and Jesse and Allie. You are the same God, and we are privileged, and it is our pleasure the sacrifice for the next generation. We aren't responsible for other churches. We're only responsible for this church. We're not trying to be like anyone or not be like anyone. We are following your call on our church. And your call is crystal clear. You love your sons and daughters and you want us to join you. And so we will. God, we will give our time and energy our money, our resources 
to this generation like never before. Blow our minds, and more than anything, blow this next generation away with the renown and glory and great deeds of the Lord. May all these ventures come true as we ship out into the dicey deep. But if we fail, Lord, in any of these, we're going to fail trying. We're going to keep trying until we breathe our last or you come back, Lord. You, Jesus, are the center of it all. And from that center, Lord, be the rebar that gives us the strength to build our church on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and not the shifting sand of this world so that our students and our children know God is alive and he loves me and I want to love him back. God, we cannot do this without you. We are not putting our heads in the clouds or the sand. We know this generation is in harm's way. And we are saddened and sickened, but we are not going to concentrate on disaster. We are going to concentrate on ventures and the adventure of our students. Awaken your people. Awaken this city. Oh, God of revival, pour it out. Pour it out. And we pray this, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, you have a good day. Pray for rain for our farmers.